I have a question. And he said, far away. And I said, um, they tell me I'm too old to be a missionary. How old are you? And I told him. And he said, um, well, who decides if you go on a mission or not? And I thought about it and I said, well, I guess it's the prophet. And he said, why don't you tell your bishop to put in the papers and see what the prophet has to say? So now I'm filled with new life and enthusiasm. And I was waiting to ambush my bishop on Sunday morning. And uh, he came walking in the chapel and I just went on a beeline straight to him. And I said, I have some good news. He says, I have good news too. And I said, well, you go first. And he said, I talked to the stake president and the stake president says, we should put in your papers and see what the prophet has to say. Welcome to part two of Dave Bresnahan. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Life podcast, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. You just heard a sound clip of an interaction that Dave Bresnahan had with Paul H. Dunn before going on his mission. Paul H. Dunn told Dave Bresnahan to fill out his papers and see what the prophet would say. Dave Bresnahan did end up going on a mission. Interestingly enough, I met Paul H. Dunn when I was eight years old. I did not tell him this in my podcast, but maybe I will talk about it in another podcast. Dave Bresnahan also talks about an experience he had with two boys that were trying to use the gymnastics school to improve their workout and how he was impressed with, two, with these two boys from Colorado that were LDS. We also talk about how he wrote the Stop Smoking book that you probably have seen on your mission. As a matter of fact, you have probably read it and taught people how to quit smoking from that book. That was Dave Bresnahan's book. He talks all about the history and how it's been circulated through missions across the world. I'm Kevin Williams, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing part two of Dave Bresnahan. I do want to talk about another book that you wrote, and then we'll get into your conversion story, and then we'll end this podcast. Well, you wrote a book about how to quit smoking. Now, I have to ask. Oh, oh okay. Is that the same book that we used on our mission? Was that your book? Yes. Yes. Okay, because we used to teach people how to stop smoking, and I had heard that it was from a return missionary. That must have been you then. That was me. Okay, so what inspired you to write the book, and we'll get right into your conversion story. Well, why don't I do the conversion story, because that'll lead into okay. how the book came about. We can do that. So um, I was at a gymnastic competition. It was the world gymnastics competition. It was held in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. And that would have been, I think, around 78 or 79. And uh, when I was there, um, I was being interviewed um, out on the street in front of the convention center by a news crew. And there were people gathered around watching. And there were two teenage boys that were there and uh, I noticed them. Um, and then later the same day, I noticed they were kind of following me around and uh, they, they wanted to get an autograph from me and were shy about it. Is that and because so they I, knew that you were the coach or they, they, you were, I was their a coach. I was a coach and, uh -huh. and uh, they wanted they were actually 
more um, than the autograph that they, they uh, wanted to go to a um a gymnastics school that was in the area to work out oh, yeah. and they were wondering yeah, if i could uh uh go with them and offer them some tips and suggestions yeah. to improve their skills no, and so um I set up, I made an arrangement with the owner of the gym to have members of the US team come to that gym and work out. I made it an even better situation than what the boys thought it would be. And uh, uh, so we kind of struck up a little friendship and before the day was over, I invited them to come to a summer training camp for gymnasts. Uh, that was being held in Massachusetts, where I lived at the time. And um, so they decided they would come. And they did come to that summer camp. And during the eight weeks they were there, I got to realize these young men were exceptional. Uh, they came from Colorado. And they were just 16 years old. And I couldn't imagine um, parents of a 16-year-old boy allowing their kid to drive across the country to this event and, and to be there on their own without <laughs> parental supervision. But it was quite obvious that these were quality kids. And um, there were some comments going on in the gym between other teenage boys and them. Uh, because of their uh, hesitancy to participate in some of the suggested plans and activities these boys were uh, cooking up for the evening hours. And one of the boys said to the Colorado boys, what are you, a Mormon or something? And the kids said, well, as a matter of fact, yeah. And so I thought, wow, that's interesting. That must have something to do with, with their behavior. And I was very curious and wanted to know more about them. Uh, but I was, I was hesitant. I mean, when you're, uh, uh, the coach and older and looking at these kids and, and it just wasn't cool to ask them about their religion. So I didn't, and, but I did not forget them. And, uh, then, uh, before the year was over, I was on another trip, a gymnastics trip for a competition and I came to Utah. And while I was there, uh, you know, I did a little bit of the tourist stuff. And part of that is tourists go to Temple Square. So yep. I was at Temple Square and um, I felt very out of place because um, I had gone on some hiking and left the mountains, came down as hot and sweaty. It was a 106 degrees, I, I remember exactly, because oh, I couldn't wow. believe the heat I was dealing with. Yeah. And um, I was at Temple Square in a gymnastics t-shirt and some cutoff jeans, and I really felt out of place. And these young ladies wanted to take me on a tour. And they had a gleam in their eye, and I just thought, oh, I got to make an excuse. So they had some pamphlets in their hands. And I said, why don't you give me some of your pamphlets, and I'll take those and read them. If I like what I read, I'll come back and go on the tour. How's that? And they said, great, here you go. So they gave me some pamphlets and I quickly exited. That was at the um, Seagull Monument. 
and uh, I just exited right out the gate and my car was parked on the side of the road. And um, I uh, took the pamphlets, put them in my glove compartment. And I also had a parking ticket, which was amazing. Uh, the parking ticket wasn't um, gonna cause me a fine. It was thanking me for coming to Utah and, and visiting and uh, the out-of-state plates, I guess, helped. And so it was a, a tourist thing where they gave me this free pass and uh, indicated, you know, please be more careful next time. So uh, that was my initial experience with Temple Square. And um, I did the same kind of thing there. I, I wanted to be left alone. So I walked around and went through the North and South Visitor Center looked at the dioramas, listened to the stuff that you could listen to. And I did some learning on my own and left. And when I got back to Massachusetts, um, it, I felt, I did not know at the time, but I would say now that I know I was being prompted to dig out those pamphlets and read them, um, which I did. Uh, the first pamphlet was, What of the Mormons? And the second one was Joseph Smith's testimony. And that sounded boring, quite frankly. It sounded like a court case. So I set that aside. And that's what I wanted to know, what of the Mormons. So I read that one and it told me about the life of a Mormon family. Here's, here's a typical Mormon family. Here's what they do. Here's how they live their life. And I thought it was really cool. I particularly liked the part where um, the kid in the family was a Boy Scout and went to his Boy Scout meeting and it talked about that. And I, I had been a longtime Boy Scout and Eagle Scout and very involved. And so I thought, well, this church must be pretty cool if they are into Boy Scouts. And so um, when I finished that pamphlet, the only other choice I had was to read a Joseph Smith's testimony, even though it sounded boring. And I started reading that and it captured my attention very quickly because it was an absolutely fascinating story that I had never heard of before. And in fact, I can remember uh, thinking, why haven't I heard of this? This is such a significant thing. Why would it be that I haven't heard this? And um, I was thinking like a journalist. <laughs> I was thinking in terms of, uh, you know, I need to get busy and interview some of these people involved in this church and learn more about this. And as I read through the pamphlet, it was more and more exciting because it had answers to questions I had had all my life. I grew up with an Irish Catholic father and a Swedish Protestant mother and religion was a topic of, um, let's shall we say concern in my home. And um, I had, as a kid growing up, always had questions, always had, you know, curiosity and wanting to know. Uh, mom and dad both went to their church and were both active and faithful. And I would go with one and then go with another on the next week. And um, I knew that one of them had to be wrong. And the other one, you know, they both couldn't be right based on the tenets of their, their beliefs. And so I was always trying to figure that out. And along came this pamphlet that had the answers to all my questions that I'd always wanted to know about and nobody could answer for me. And so that was a, a, a really big thing. So now I'm remembering these kids from the summer camp experience 
And I thought, well, um, I can see that this church has made a difference in their lives. And what I wanted was, um, I wasn't looking at it as I want to be like them. I looked at it as I want to have kids like them one day. I wanted a family that had kids that were the way they were. So um, that's what piqued my curiosity and wanting to learn more. So um, on the back of the pamphlet, it listed missions and the closest mission to Massachusetts on the pamphlet was New York City. And I thought, well, a mission, that must be what they call their church. And that's too far away for me to go to church on Sunday all the way to New York. So I ruled out, can't do that. And um, uh, I just kind of put it out of my mind. And then within a matter of a few days, I was looking something up in the yellow pages. Uh, for those of you that are uh, into cell phones, uh, yellow pages is this amazing book that you could open and look up any phone number of any business anywhere near yes. you. I remember and, the uh, yellow pages. Now, as blind <laughs> people, we just have to call four one one. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> of course, I guess they the do yellow... have yellowpages.com, But go carry on. Yeah, they do. And so, um, the uh, pages where I was flipping through them to find what I was looking for, I don't even remember what it was. But the the heading on one of the pages was churches. And that, so that caught my eye and I stopped and I looked down that page and sure enough, there it was, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right there where I lived in Worcester, Massachusetts. I was astonished, absolutely astonished. And so um, I was not just astonished, I was terrified because um, I was I was getting that nudge, you know, call, give him a call. And uh, uh, it wouldn't go away. And so... Uh, later in the day, because it wouldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head, I came back, looked it up again, called the number, and when I called, um, a gentleman answered, and I had called at just the right time. He was the custodian, and he was there cleaning and uh, answered the phone in the hallway, and I told him, imagine, imagine being an elderly guy that's a convert by of a couple of years, and um, he, he gets this call and I said, hi, this is, this is Dave Bresnahan. Uh, you don't know me, but I've been reading about your church and I think I'd like to join and I don't know what to do. Oh, and, wow. he, <laughs> and so his reaction was he dropped the phone. You could hear the phone clunking against the wall. And then he picked it up and apologized. And I'm thinking, what the heck? How, <laughs> what's causing this reaction? And he said, um, I need to give you the, the name and phone number of the bishop and you can give him a call and he'll answer all your questions. Now, coming from the background that I had, the only bishop I knew, you know, the guy with the pointy hat and all that, the robes and everything, he was not someone that um, uh, I considered uh, a fun guy. He was strict and stern and, and to be avoided. And so I just said, gee, no, I, I don't want to talk to Bishop that, that nah. And he kept trying to reassure me. Oh, he's a wonderful guy. You'll like him. And no, no, it must be someone else. 
And then he said, well, um, you could talk to the elders. And I thought, oh, isn't that nice? They give the old guys something to do. And so <laughs> actually elder, I, just so you uh, listeners know, elder actually is the root word from eldra, which means older. So, yes, yeah. you're thinking what a, that's probably what you were thinking. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so um, uh, I called the elders and uh, that was an interesting experience, but it, because I called them on transfer day and the new greenie had just arrived um, and they had just got back to their apartment and I did the same thing. Hi, this is Dave Bresnahan. I've been reading about your church. I don't know what to do. Uh, I want to join. So I'm calling you. And um, that greeny missionary dropped the phone and ran across a hardwood floor and is pounding on the bathroom door to get his companion. Uh, hey, and he's yelling, hey, elder, hey, elder, I need you. I need you. And again, I'm thinking, why is this all weird? Just, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out what the heck is the big deal here. And so the bottom line is they came the next day, they arrived at, at my place at 10 in the morning. And um, I, I just was so amazed. I, I couldn't wait for them to get there. I was so excited that they were coming. And um, uh, they had something I wanted, I badly wanted, a Book of Mormon. So I had read this pamphlet about Joseph Smith and I read about the Restoration and the Book of Mormon. At the end of the pamphlet is a section from the Book of Moroni. And it tells, if you want to know if it's true, you can pray about it and learn the truth of it yourself. And so I did. I wanted to know. So I actually held the pamphlet in my hand and knelt down by my bed and looking at the pamphlet as I was doing it to guide me, I prayed, wanting to know if the things I read were true. And um, I had the most incredible, overwhelming uh, sense of love that came over me. Um, I felt the love of the Savior, and I felt his presence reassuring me that what I read was absolutely true. And that created an immediate burning desire to get my hands on a copy of the Book of Mormon. Um, and the only thing I knew to do was go to the library. So I went to the library and the library said, gee, no, we don't, we don't have one of those. And so, um, uh, the librarian suggested I go to the county library. Oh, my dinner has arrived. Isn't this great? Ah, Thank what's you. for dinner? Uh, spaghetti. I'm looking forward you to You know it. what? My favorite way to have spaghetti is with jalapenos and olives in it. Ugh. Ugh. Really well, good. Not for me, thanks. Not for <laughs> me. Okay. But uh, so I got to the, finally got to the county library and they said, oh, yes, it's upstairs. Uh, go up on the second floor and the lady at the reception desk will help you. So I got to the second floor and the sign on the door that I went through said rare book section. And the only copy of the Book of Mormon they had 
was a first edition copy under a glass display case. You couldn't touch it, but you could see it under the glass. And I told Lady, I, I want a copy I can read. And she didn't have one. So by the time the missionaries came to my house, I had gone through that experience and was anxious to have a copy of the Book of Mormon, which they had. And I was so excited. I can tell you that it takes 36 hours to read through the Book of Mormon cover to cover, because that's what I did. Wow. Well, and you... um, oh, go ahead. That, so that that led to um, these missionaries, uh, you know, are pretty overwhelmed with with this enthusiastic guy. And uh, I was I was baptized 10 days later and. Um, <clears throat> So um, at my baptism, I finally met the bishop and he's a great guy. <laughs> We've been friends, friends to this very day. Um, oh, wow. And I, I said to him, um, he had an interview with me to get to know me. And I said to him, I want to be like those missionaries. How, how do I get to be a missionary too? And he said, well, a year from now, you come and see me and we'll make those arrangements. For now, he said, just be a good member and learn all you can. And uh, so that's what I did. And a year later to the day, I, I showed up banging on his door, on his home. I didn't wait till it was church time. I wasn't going to spare a moment. So a year later, um, I was at his house and told him I was there because he told me to show up in a year and here I am. And at that point, now he knew more about me. Um, keep in mind, I'm a gymnast, so a five foot, four and a half inch guy, um, thin and very young looking, um, younger than my real age. And so, uh, I said to him, I'm here because, you know, I want to be a missionary. And he said, come on in. And we sat in his office and he picked up the phone and called the stake president on his speakerphone, and the stake president um, was a prominent doctor in Boston, and he had a special phone line just for bishops to call him on, and he was about to go into surgery, and he said, um, and I don't know if he knew that I was listening or not, but he said, Bishop, tell him to find a wife, and he'll get to go on a mission with her one day. And, and he said goodbye and hung up. And so I it kind of took the wind out of my sails, but it gave me a whole new direction. And I became and here I spent this entire year not dating anybody and trying to prepare to be a missionary. So now I got new direction and I thought, okay, great. And I started dating with enthusiasm. And um uh that led to couldn't find anybody and and came to utah the coach of the byu gymnastics team was happy to have me come to utah and work with him in gymnastics and uh that's what i did um once i got here my first bishop wanted to interview me and get to know me and he said um tell me about you where have you where did you go on your mission and let me know and i said well I haven't been on a mission and he's why not? And I explained to him, and I didn't tell you this part of the story, 
Um, the problem was that at the time we called the stake president, I was 27 years old. And um, oh. actually it was 20, oh, I was okay. 27, when I, 27 when I joined the church, I would be 28 years old at that time. And, and he, he got the manual out and told the bishop what page to look on. And sure enough, right there, it said 26 was the cutoff date. And so that's, that's how that conversation had gone. So big time disappointment. And, um, and the bishop in Utah said, I never heard of that. And I, and I told him what page to look on. And sure enough, there it was. And so um, he said to me, well, if I find out you can go on a mission, are you interested in going? And I said, absolutely. And, but I was pretty confident. It says in the manual, you can't send me. So I don't think it's going to happen, but I said, yes. And so um, one of the gymnasts that I was working with, it was a high school gymnast. And uh, he said to me, um, there's an early morning fireside for our seminary and it's Paul H. Dunn. And um, I had talked about Paul H. Dunn as one of my favorites. And I had uh, cassette tapes of his talks and things and some of his books. And I just uh, really admired this guy. Who was this? My other sport. Huh? Who, who did you have the fires, the tapes of? Paul, Paul H. Dunn. Oh, yes. Okay. Elder Paul H. Dunn. I have Dunn. a story about him that I can tell you off the podcast. Carry on. It's a good okay. story, though. Um, so uh, I went to the early morning fireside. And when it ended, um, you know, there's a parade of kids going up to shake his hand. So I waited till they started to disperse. And then I got up there at the end and, and said hello to him and told him that I was from Massachusetts. He had been a mission president in Massachusetts, not too many years previous to that. And so we compared notes and sure enough, I knew people he knew and, and uh, he, he remembered the ward that I had come from when it was a branch and so I said, I have a question. And he said, far away. And I said, um, they tell me I'm too old to be a missionary. How old are you? And I told him. And he said, um, well, who decides if you go on a mission or not? And I thought about it. And I said, well, I guess it's the prophet. And he said, why don't you tell your bishop to put in the papers and see what the prophet has to say? So now I'm filled with new life and enthusiasm. And I was waiting to ambush my bishop on Sunday morning. And uh, he came walking in the chapel and I just went on a beeline straight to him. And I said, I have some good news. He says, I have good news too. And I said, well, you go first. And he said, I talked to the stake president and the stake president says, we should put in your papers and see what the prophet has to say. Oh, well, wow. and then Isn't I told him, what, uh, I told him what Paul H. Dunn had to say. And he says, great, come see me after church. We'll start filling out your papers. And so that's what we did. And it wasn't, uh, but a few weeks later that I got a mission call that came back and the call was to go to Ireland, which is the land of my ancestors. And, uh, 
where I still have living cousins. Um, so that, you know, my family got freaked out when I became a Latter-day Saint. And when I got called to be a missionary to Ireland, holy cow, that was, they just were astonished. You're going to be a oh, missionary yeah. where, you know, Ireland, they don't need to be converted. They're already Christians. And, and so that was an interesting thing to overcome. You well, could have told them uh, if I send you Idaho potatoes instead of Irish potatoes, you might want to convert. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. So the bottom line was um, I went to Ireland. Now that's where the stop smoking manual comes in. My mission president, Vernon Tipton, had an interview me with, with me when I arrived. And by that time, I was 30 years old. And so he said, um, do you know why you're here? And I said, to be a missionary. He says, no, but there's a purpose. There's a reason for you to be here. You need to find out what that is. The Lord didn't just call you here for no reason at all. This, this doesn't happen. What has just happened doesn't happen. You need to find out why are you here. And I found out pretty quick. So my first Sunday in the mission field, I was in uh, the local branch sitting with my companion. We went to sacrament meeting and we got up to go to Sunday school and we were sitting in the room, but there was nobody there. Nobody. No teacher, no, no students, nobody. And I said to him, what's going on? And he says, and he looks out the window and he says, oh, they'll be here in a minute. And I looked out the window and was I ever shocked when I saw on the sidewalk off the church property, there were tons of people smoking cigarettes, including little kids. And when I say oh. little kids, I'm talking six, seven, eight years old smoking cigarettes. Oh <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> and I, I remember I've been a news reporter. So I was thinking of all the nasty stories a reporter could write about the church, seeing this, taking a picture and, 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 and writing up a story. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, this has to change quick. So um, my companion and I talked about it. And after church, oh, somebody's going to poke at me. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Good. What do we need to do? We need to give you an antibiotic. Oh, okay. That's just on here. Yeah. And I got to do an assessment really quick. Ah, uh, okay. I'm doing mind. a I'm doing a little video chat thing, and we'll take a break and do it. Okay. Okay. We'll if you want to do that first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Misty. Misty. Okay. Yeah. Great. I'm your nurse tonight. Misty is new. <laughs> Change of Hello the there, Misty. Hello. So um, the bottom line was there. I was um, faced with all these people who smoke cigarettes. And uh, I wanted to fix that really fast. So my companion and I um, went and, and bought books on how to quit smoking. We went to the Irish Lung Association. We went to the Heart Association. Um, there's an actual Irish non-smokers association. We went to all those places, gathered everything we could. Then we went to our apartment, which you call a flat, and... Uh, we began to fast and pray. There was no particular plan other than we were just going to study and learn and ask the Lord to guide us. And after three days of this, um, 
the branch president came over and he brought one of those big old black uh, manual typewriters, <clears throat> put it on the kitchen table and brought me a bunch of paper. And he said, you're going to need this. I heard what you're doing. Uh, let me get this out for you here. There you go. And um, so uh, all of a sudden I was, I was reading some, some uh, materials and all of a sudden it happened. Um, I got up, I went and sat at the typewriter, put some paper in and typed the 15 steps to quit smoking that you used as a missionary and that so many others have used. Um, that's never changed since that time. And uh, it just kind of flowed out of me. Um, it just happened. And uh, uh, we then immediately, immediately uh, took those 15 steps and started going to uh, members and investigators, teaching them to quit smoking. And everybody was quitting. It was working like a charm. Um, so it was kind of a blow you away experience. And um, uh, it evolved to the point where the mission president um, uh, called me into the mission office and I was now had the assignment of going wherever I was needed. And I was carted around all over the mission to teach people to quit smoking. And literally every single day, every single evening, I was somewhere teaching people to quit. And when the time came that I was about to go home, he had me write it all down in the form of a lesson manual so that they could continue without me. Um, since uh, I had been doing this the whole time, the mission president said, gee, I made a mistake. I had you teach. I should have had you teach us how to teach. And so that's what I did. And we got the manual going and made it possible for them to continue without me and for other missions to be able to do it too. And it spread rapidly all through the world. Um, it is now used in every mission. It's in about 10 different languages and uh, it's been a marvelous experience. It's kept me involved uh, in that missionary work ever since. And uh, it's been a great blessing to many people. How did the so church thank you for asking? How did the church get a hold of it though after you left? Uh, obviously somebody from church headquarters or the mission department had to get a hold of that. How did that happen? Do you know? So um, <laughs> when I left Ireland, I came home to Massachusetts where my family were living, not to Utah where I had been living. And uh, it was um, Christmas time. And um, after I had been home with them, I needed to get to Utah because I had been accepted at Westminster College and uh, I had to start school. It was like January 3rd or 4th, something like that. And so uh, this same bishop we had talked about that I was afraid to talk to, uh, Bill Entz, um, fixed up an old car and uh, gave it to me so that I could have this car to drive to Utah and then have a car to use once I got there. Uh, unfortunately, the car broke down in Ohio on New Year's Eve, and it was a pouring rain night. This was in 85, um, correct? That would have been in 85, correct? Yeah, yes. okay. And I know uh, you served your mission from 83 to 85. That's how I guess. Carry on. Yes, okay, you got it. 
And um, so the bottom line was I was stuck on the Ohio Turnpike and a cop pulled over to check on me and uh, he wanted to call a tow truck. And of course that has dollar signs to it. So I was, no, 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 I've got friends who will help me. And he says, you're from Massachusetts and you have friends here? And I said, oh yeah. And, and he asked me, how do I have, he's taking me to the rest area and I was in the car with him. And I said, um, have you ever heard of the Mormons? <laughs> and I could tell there was a little hesitancy on his side. And I explained that I was going to call some Mormons and they would come and help me. And, and he was kind of flabbergasted. He says, do they know you? No, but they'll come and help you. Yep, they will. And he said, look, I get off my shift at eight in the morning. If that car is still sitting there, I'm having it towed. And so that gave me a little more motivation. Well, um, keep in mind, I'm a missionary returning from my mission. And I am still living out of my missionary suitcases. And uh, so I'm very missionary minded. And when I got to the rest area, I went over to where the phone booths were and, uh, you know, called yeah, for those that don't assistance. know, we had pay phones back then. Yeah, not, pay phones. Well, exactly. we did have mobile phones, but not very many people had them. No. And so um, I put in a call and had them do a search. And I had them search for the church. And I thought, that's crazy to call the church. And who else can I look for? And I thought, well, maybe the missionaries will be listed. So they did a search for the missionaries and they found... Uh, a listing and I called them and they just happened to be the zone leaders. And so that worked out well. And it just happened that they were having a new year's Eve party where the whole zone had gone to the zone leaders apartment. And that way would hopefully stay out of trouble. And uh, so they came to get me. They knew a member of the church who worked for the turnpike and knew how to get onto the turnpike without going through the toll booth. And so uh, he came with his car with a chain and chained up my car, pulled it off the highway and took it to his house. And then I went and stayed with the zone leaders. And uh, the next day is when the Cleveland, Ohio mission used the stop smoking program for the first time, because as they got to know me uh, and found out that I could teach people to quit smoking. They put me right to work. And uh, I was there for four days, taught a bunch of people, which word got to the mission president really fast. And the mission president brought me into the office and we met, he was astonished. Um, and he put a call in over to Ireland and talked to my mission president. And the next thing you know, um, he had me uh, give a training lesson to his staff his office staff on how to teach the program. And he put it on, he had had a member come in and videotape it and um, with actual videotape. And uh, that's how it started. Um, and he got a copy of the manual. Um, and uh, they started writing to me and letting me know about this one quit and that one quit and good things that were happening. And uh, the gentleman who took the car uh, bought the car from me. 
which gave me enough money to buy an airline ticket and get to Salt Lake just in time for the first day of school at Westminster College. I had, uh, I had already completed a bunch of schooling. Remember, I was an NCAA gymnast, but I had gotten injured. That was the end of school, end of scholarship, end of money. And so now I was uh, uh, needing to get to Westminster and I had gotten a scholarship um, which was astonishing. It was, you know, going to cover the whole cost of a very expensive school. And, uh, I had to be there on time. I had an appointment with the financial aid office and all that sort of thing. And not only were they giving me money to go to school, they were giving me money to live on. So that was an incredible blessing. And, uh, I got there and, uh, everything fit into place. Um, it was pretty neat. And I was able to finish school. I only had a year and a half that had to get it done. So I finished school at Westminster, had my degree in communications and computer science. And it was a great experience. Westminster's a wonderful school. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So after you, uh, after you taught the, I, the Iowa mission president in Cleveland, wherever that turnpike is, uh, yeah. Did he distribute it throughout the church then, or no, no? So how did it go through the church? Um, so uh, it's never been officially distributed by the church. It's really? always me, right? So um, I get sent to my a, mission then in Nova Scotia because somebody asked for it. Oh, okay. So it's it's. I don't know if I so should it say was, it. It was word of mouth kind of thing. One missionary tells another and tells another. And and uh, then a mission president calls and says, uh, one of my missionaries is using a manual written by you. Tell me about this. And uh, so I started traveling. I went to over 60 missions, sometimes with the general authority, most of the time not. And I would go to uh, zone conferences and teach missionaries how to use it. And I would bring copies of the manual with me. Um, and uh, in fact, I bought a motor home. And uh, by that time, I'm married, got little kids. And so my wife tolerated and put up with this crazy guy running around all over the place. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, on our honeymoon, we stopped to teach a mission. And um, just before I got married, I was in Toronto and uh, teaching there. Um, so it was, it was a primary thing for me to do, to go out and, and teach at these missions. And now today, I'm actively looking for people who have skills I don't have. I would like to have an automated website where missionaries and missions and an award clerk or whoever needs it can come on to the website and uh, get a copy. I don't sell them and never sold a single one. When I took it to the missions, I would print copies at my expense and bring it with me. And uh, now, of course, I send it to them by PDF and an email. And so I'm just looking for automated ways to get this in the hands of as many people as possible so that more people can learn. In so fact, let me just see somebody, call it. I have an email here. Uh, yeah, so there's there's two requests waiting in my inbox. 
somebody wants a copy of the manual. And so it's just continued to this day. It just keeps going. So what, what is your email address? Because no one's going to be able to see whatever you put there on the screen. It's, it'll be an MP3 format. So my email address is my name. It's Dave at Bresnahan, B-R-E-S, N as in nice, A-H-A-N as in nice, Dave at Bresnahan.org. And there's a link in the show notes. There's a link. What? In the show I'm notes. I'm sorry. Did... There'll, there'll be a oh, link okay. in the show notes. Okay, great. And I say great. there's a link because obviously when this podcast is published, there will be a yeah. link in the show notes. Um, wow, that's a that's a really good story. I had no idea that you're the one. that. So somebody in Toronto must have heard about it or somebody in Nova Scotia must have heard about it through somebody in Toronto or something and requested it. I, I suspect, or apparently, somehow apparently. And I love Nova Scotia. I spent a very, uh, enjoyable family vacation in Digby many years ago. Wow. Interesting. I have a hard time getting on to another subject. I just want to cover one more thing and uh, ask you one more question. We'll get, we'll get this over. You were in the Mark Hoffman documentary. Who did you play? Cause I did not hear your voice in there. Uh, Correct. So I was a reenactor and um, you will see me in the scenes. I was with uh, president Hinckley um, and there's some scenes in which President Hinckley and I go into a safe and I take the salamander letter off the shelf in the safe and hand it to him. And then they reused that scene numerous times, showing me locking the safe or putting the thing back on the shelf and that sort of thing. So it was the typical reenactment documentary sort of scene. Let me just ask you. Because I was a kid. I didn't even live in Utah. What was it like being in Utah during that whole fiasco? Because you were there. Not during the bombing, but you were there during the thick of the trial and all. What was that like? Well, I was there during the bombing, too. And and so it was an an emotional time. Um, And shortly after my mission, while I was attending Westminster College is when it went on. And I can remember... um, somebody, I don't remember who, somebody came and gave a presentation at Westminster. And um, we talked about it in institute class that they were coming. And I, out of curiosity, I wanted to see what they had to say. But in general, the judgment that I had made um, and the evaluation I made at the time was, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, I don't care that the FBI claims that this is an authentic document. I don't care that, um, you know, it's proven that it's real. And in my mind, uh, my thought process was, uh, we have a prophet of God on the earth. I know the church is true. I had a really profound experience that helped me to know that it was true. And I absolutely knew that this letter was false. And after all, who was supposed to be the author? It was supposed to be authored by Martin Harris. Well, what do we know about Martin Harris? 
He stole 116 manuscript pages of the Book of Mormon. Why is he someone to be trusted? And just because he wrote something doesn't mean that it's valid. And so that was my thought process about the thing. And I wasn't a scholar and I wasn't someone who knew the ins and outs of the history and was it his handwriting, any of that. Didn't matter to me, absolutely didn't matter um, because it, it, it could not possibly be true. And uh, so I pursued it with the questioning mind of a journalist, um, but it did not shake my faith. Um, what disturbed me the most was Mark Hoffman. Um, I, was, I was really bothered by the fact that someone who was a member of the church, who'd been a missionary, who was, who was married in the temple, um, someone who had the family with all these cute, wonderful kids, um, how could this person turn so evil? Uh, that's what disturbed me the most. And um, I was just blown away by it. And the emotions of that time all came flooding back when we filmed. Um, it was film my section was filmed in an LDS church, which the church cooperated with the making of this documentary and provided the use of the church and the church safe for that scene that I did. And um, quite frankly, it's um, a, a well done documentary. Um, both directors are LDS. Uh, one I left the church and one is LDS. Well, yeah, if you want to get technical, but um, they're, uh, they're good men. I know them both. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've, I admire their work. They do quality work. It was not, um, this documentary wasn't slanted in any particular way. It was factual. It was accurate. And it was, it was done well. And uh, they respected the church and uh, everything that they did was, was uh, well done. So uh, that was the other reason I accepted the role. I wanted to see firsthand um, behind the scenes how this was being done and how it was being handled. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got a part in it. I would have... You know, I remember, I, I want to end this quick. I remember as a kid, I was in uh, Eastern Oregon, if that means anything to you. Um, I didn't know any of this went on until I was in college. Uh -huh. And I thought, how did I not know this? This is such a big story. How did I not know this growing up? I mean, this happened when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. How, how did I not know? I I, I, when I read the book, I've said this many times, it shook me up when I read the yeah. salamander letter. Um, I had a lot of questions It questioned my faith for many years after reading that book. Um, well, the only thing I tell people is always fall back on what you know to be true. So if you've studied and prayed and you know, the book of Mormon is true. If you know, Joseph Smith, was a prophet that restored the church. If you know those things are true, then that can be the anchor that you hold on to when the the doubting things come into your life. Yeah, there's going to be doubts; they happen, and you can feed the doubts or you can cling to the anchor. 
And so I choose to cling to the anchor and it's, it's been helpful for me yeah. uh, because there's been certain things that have come along over the years and uh, I don't have a problem. I know it's true. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth and uh, the blessings that come because we have a living, true prophet of God to lead us and guide us are just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, look at the times we're living in now and, and look at the things that President Nelson has led us to and, and has guided us to. And um, they're critics, uh, sure, and there always will be. But um, I am holding on to that anchor that I have. And I shared with you my conversion story. And that's as strong for me now as it ever was. Uh, my enthusiasm for the gospel has never diminished. It's as strong now as it was back then. And yeah. so I'm pleased. I don't often have an opportunity to talk about my faith and my testimony the way that you have given me that opportunity. So I'm grateful for that today. I'm grateful for the podcast that you do and for your listeners. And I certainly welcome um, hearing from anybody that uh, wants to contact me you're providing those links and uh, the email address. And I certainly am happy to hear from anybody, whether it's about movie making my books or about the salamander letter or anything else. And in fact, the, the original story, this is the, the, the TV show that we're talking about is actually called murder among the Mormons. And the original title of that, uh, when I got the script, it was titled just salamander. And uh, apparently BBC decided to change the name for marketing reasons. Yeah. One more question, then I got to get out of here. Although stick with me real quick at the end of this podcast, if you don't mind. I want okay. to talk to you about what is your favorite part of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints? I think I have an idea, but uh, I want to hear from you. Favorite part? Um, gosh. Uh, my favorite part of my membership in the church or the opportunities I have to serve. And um, I've had many different callings over the years and opportunities of service that have come, um, serving by helping people with the stop smoking program has been an incredible blessing in my life and great source of satisfaction. Uh, but then in having actual callings, uh, right now, I am the first counselor in the Elders Quorum Presidency and the uh, Ward Mission Leader, and uh, I couldn't be happier. I love those callings together. They go hand in hand, and it's given me opportunities to uh, find ways to reach out and provide service to other people and see their lives be blessed, and that's what brings me the most joy. Well, Dave, uh, thank you very much for getting on the podcast. This is, I have to say, one of the best podcasts I've done. A little scattered, but that's okay. Very enlightening, and we will, I will talk to you later, folks. Thank you.